0: For many years, I worked hard to define my value through activities, roles, and people in my life in order to feel secure. However, at the age of 31, I had a serious accident that immediately stripped me of my job, my ministry, and even some of my friendships as I had known them, and I felt completely empty. While this was incredibly difficult and challenging, God used it for good. He helped me to begin to search and find my true value in who I am as his precious daughter, and that this was enough. I no longer place my value in anything or anyone but who I am in Christ. This has provided me with a sense of security that will never be shaken no matter what life brings my way.
1: Well, you just heard Robin say in her 100-word story these words, very poignant. I felt completely empty. That is a pretty strong admonition, courageous admonition say, I felt completely empty. Have you ever felt that way? Have you ever felt like maybe you're running on fumes in life or you're running on empty? In this road trip series, we're talking about going on this life-changing journey with Jesus together. But there are times in our journey where, whether we're aware of it or not, we're running on fumes. We need those rest stops, those pit stops, those times to breathe deep. Whatever you call them a road stop, a pit stop, a rest stop, a renovation. You, need, you, you might need to go into the gas monkey garage and get totally redone. But we all need those times in our journey where we get our tanks fixed and our tires retreaded and uh, we rehone part of our engine. And God tunes us up for the next leg of the journey. You know, just this past Friday, I found myself running on empty as I was driving to Ortana, Pennsylvania, to conduct a wedding rehearsal. How many of you have been to the bright lights in the big city of Ortana? Okay. If you take Gettysburg and Chambersburg on the map and you draw a line directly between the two, somewhere around the middle is Ortana. Okay, so it takes about an hour to get there from here. Because once you get off of either 81 or 15, you can start to hear the tune Deliverance playing in the background. <laughs> it's big orchards, and all of a sudden you're like, wow, I am in the country. Well, um, I wasn't really watching. I probably was running a bit on empty, even more than just physically in my car. You know, last week I had a lot of things gone, and I had this sermon to prepare and work with Pastor John for the past two weeks. And then I also was working on putting together this wedding service. Uh, that was outside in, at a farm at a different venue, and uh, so sometimes you have all kinds of things that come up with that also. But um, I had put together my notes, felt good about that. But on Friday afternoon, I realized after lunch when I got in my car that it didn't have much gas in it. And I have a little Honda Civic, so it's supposed to make gas on its own, right? It's just supposed to refuel itself. You never run out of gas on a Honda Civic, right? Well. You can, and I came close on Friday afternoon. I was driving down, and I realized as I'm going down 15 that all of the little white bar lights that that mark how much fuel, they'd all gone away. And by that time, I got off of 15. I was going through part of Gettysburg, and I was looking around, and every gas station then was what? On the left, not on the right. So I kept going by them, hoping that I would finally go by a gas station on the right. Went through part of the battlefield, down the road, turn left on another road, and by then, the only gas stations that you see out there are the ones that are abandoned, right? There's still a gas pump, there's still a handle, but there's big cobwebs between the two of those. They haven't been used for some time. And so I'm thinking in my mind, this is really going to be embarrassing if I'm alongside the road and I have to call the bride and groom to come and get me or their parents to come and get me because I have no fuel left in my car, you know, and, uh, you know, I'm kind of embarrassed about that, thinking about that, because, you know, I'm the pastor. You know, I wear certain uh, titles, and uh, all of us have certain titles that keep us from being the person who's going to run out of gas, right? Maybe you're the mom in the family, and, and in your family, the mom holds things together, and so mom can never run out of gas. She cooks. She works. She cleans. She listens. She, you know, makes sure everything's all right, Maybe that's your red cape that you wear. It says "Mom" on the back, you know. Uh, maybe it's Dad. Maybe you're a, a Dad, and and some I know in our church has a, a, a lot of single dads even in it who take care of things and raise the children, and their spouse isn't there anymore for one reason or another, and they're raising things up, and they have the red cape on, and it says "Dad" on it. Or maybe at work, you're the person who's responsible to lead the work team and you, you know, you're the responsible one, and your cape says you know, manager or supervisor, or maybe your cape just says servant on it, and when you go to work every day, you're the one who can't miss work because you take care of all the details, and you support everyone else at the office or in the workplace or the marketplace, or maybe the person in the community who coaches things and shows up at things and takes care of things, and, and on your cape, it just says, I'm indispensable. I can't be the person Who's running on empty? I can't be. That just can't be true. I wanted that to be true on Friday afternoon. I'm so glad I got the rehearsal. At uh, It's called Beach Spring Farm. It's a beautiful place. You ever get to go to there? It's a gorgeous place for a wedding. And I'm glad that I got from there to Chambersburg on my way home. And in Chambersburg, I could get some fuel for the journey because I would not have made it back to Mechanicsburg. No way. There was a little yellow, uh, you know, uh, um, Looks like a little gas pump that comes on there. And then voices started speaking to me from the dash. You're an idiot. What are you doing? You're going to kill all of us. Get off the road and get some gas. Now, of course, it's a little hyperbole there. But that's the way I felt. Like, all of a sudden, this thing's just going to shut down. And I was so glad when I got to the refueling station, and then I looked at it, and I looked in my manual later, and I was like, wow. I was down to probably a quarter of a tank of fuel you know, running on empty, and I didn't even know it. Sometimes we're running on empty and we don't know it. We don't know that we're doing that. The tires are coming off. We're running on fumes. Things are breaking down, but we just think, hey, I'm just going to keep going, and and maybe it'll just refuel itself like I was in my car on Friday afternoon. There was a man in Mark chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. We have his story where the tires had come off of his life, where he was sitting on empty And he needed some friends to get him into Jesus' uh, uh, presence and at the feet of Jesus. I want to read to you that story. It's Mark 2, 1 through 12. If you have your Bible, feel free to turn with me there. If you don't have a Bible with you, you can probably have enough scriptures in your outline that can help you follow along this morning. So pull your outline out and get ready to take some notes and follow along. But listen to this poignant portrait of a man who's been running on empty for some time. And left alongside the road. It says, when Jesus returned to Capernaum several days later, the news spread quickly that he was back home. Soon the house where he was staying was so packed with visitors, there was no more room, even outside the door. While he was preaching God's word to them, four men arrived carrying a paralyzed man on a mat. They couldn't bring him to Jesus because of the crowd, and so they dug a hole through the roof above his head. Then they lowered the man on his mat right down in front of Jesus. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, My child, your sins are forgiven. But some of the teachers of the religious law were sitting there, and they thought to themselves, What is he saying? This is blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. Jesus knew immediately what they were thinking, so he asked them, Why do you question this in your hearts? It's easier to say to the paralyzed man, Your sins are forgiven, or stand up, pick up your mat, and walk. So I'll prove to you that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. And then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man, and he said these words, Stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. And the man jumped up, and he grabbed his mat, and he walked out through the stunned onlookers. They were all amazed, and they praised God, exclaiming, We have never seen anything like this before. Mark chapter 2 has a story story of a true event that happened when Jesus walked this earth that gives us some insight about what to do when we find ourselves running on empty. My first point this morning is this, is when you're running on empty, let others carry you. Let others carry you. When you're running on empty, let others carry you. Now, relying on the help of others for some of us might just be the biggest challenge for us when we're running on empty. Because for some of us, like I explained earlier, we've been given titles or we've given ourselves certain titles or descriptors that make us somewhat indispensable, we think. We think, I can't be running on empty. I can't be running low. People need me. I need energy. I need time. I need resources. I need to be there for people. You don't understand, I'm there for others. Others are not there for me. And that's very errant thinking in our minds. But if we start to think that way and those paths get worn into our mind, and our heart, and our life, and our habits, we live our life that way thinking that others are not there to carry us in our time where we're worn out when we need His help. I mean, look at this, what happened here. They not only carry Him to the house. And i got to explain to some things that happened there. Homes in those days would have been, he would have been staying at a smaller home, had a set of outside steps that went up to the flat roof of the top of the home. Almost every home had that. And they had that because the flat roof up there was built this way. It had timbers every two or three feet, and then it had stuff between the timbers, straw and other things, and then mud was put on there. Mud or clay was put on there, and you actually, they made it so sturdy that you could actually stand up there. You could go up there, and believe it or not, ladies, it wasn't really a place for sunbathing in Palestine. They got plenty of sun without having to do that. But it was a place where they had plants, it was a place where it was kind of their patio. They didn't have outside places like us because the footprints were small. So they would go up there, and it was a place in the cool of the day to relax. It was a place to grow vegetables or plants or whatever. As a matter of fact, usually the top of the roof eventually would start to grow grass on its own because the birds would deposit some seeds there and the rain would water it and grass would grow up on the top and so sometimes they even had to trim it. But it was a place where these guys knew they could go. They saw that the house was full. It was normal for the door to be open during the day. It lets a breeze in and out in in the place where they were. And so they come to the place and they see that it's full And they have their friend. They want to get him to the feet of Jesus. And they go up the outside steps and they go up to the roof. And I imagine the people inside, if some of them saw them coming in or out or they were sitting outside because they were pouring out into the street. We, We assume this was a smaller home. They were pouring out in the street. They probably just thought, well, they're just going up there to get a good listen. There's no place else to listen. They can get him up there. There's some space for him. They can put his mat down. He can lay there. He can listen to the words of Jesus coming up through, through the ceiling and through the roof. Or they can hear him pouring out the windows. But they didn't know what these guys were really up to. These guys weren't up to getting their friend just close to Jesus. That wasn't good enough. They wanted him to be at his feet in the very presence of the Lord. And it's interesting that they go through great pains to get there. But this picture here, this word picture, this event, gives us an idea about, number one, who Jesus was and, number one, who, what, what people were about. Number one, Jesus was somebody who was drawing crowds of people. And we know that he was drawing crowds of people because the Scripture tells us, but he, we know that one of the reasons he was doing that is because he spoke as one having authority. He wasn't just talking about the kingdom or about God or about the law or about the end of time or about what was going on in history right then. He was speaking with authority. He was bringing the scriptures alive. And he was saying, I am the incarnation of these scriptures that you have read for years. All the prophecies of the Old Testament, 60 some plus of them, I'm the incarnation of them. I'm here. I'm God in the flesh among you which is why most of them were thinking who were teachers of the law. This is blasphemy. He's not God. He can't be God. That doesn't look like our stained glass God that we've made inside of our mind. And Jesus was shattering their idea of the stained glass God. And he was God in the flesh. He was God who was dirty. He was God among them. He was the God who set up his tent of meeting among them. And he was coming right to them. And the people... The common people gravitated and filled up houses and homes and squares and temple courts to hear what he had to say because he spoke as one who had authority. It tells us something about the people. It tells us they were desperate. They were thirsty. They were hungry for God. They wanted a taste of him. They saw Jesus and they said, that he reminds me of somebody, our father in heaven. Because he is the image God, it says in Scripture, of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Somehow their heart and their soul and their mind, because it was made in God's image, knew it, could sense it, could feel it. They were raw. They were ready. They need to be refueled. Life had worn them down. Can you picture yourself there? How desperate are you to meet with Jesus today? Are you sitting outside the house, or have you pushed your way in through the crowd? Are you up on the roof with a friend? Maybe you're carrying somebody else. You've been in Jesus' presence so much, you just got to get somebody else there. And you're holding one of the four corners this morning, in prayer or literally in some way, getting your friend to the feet of Jesus and in his presence. You know, I don't know how far they had to travel. It didn't seem to matter to them. It didn't seem to matter how big the crowd was to them. It didn't seem to matter that Jesus was in the middle of giving his homily, they seemed to interrupt that. It, it doesn't seem to really matter about the owner's roof. I don't know if they knew him or not. But they destroyed the thing. I, maybe they just thought, hey, we can fix it later. We've built roofs before. It's not that hard. We can take care of that. The barriers of distance, people, plans, and property were no match for the desperation they felt in their soul to get themselves and to get their friend to the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so they carried him together. And they pushed their way through the crowd. And they climbed up the steps and they began to dig through the roof to get their friend to the feet of Christ. Now, all of this wouldn't have mattered if the man had resisted. If they had gone to his home that day and he said, No, thank you, I'll stay on my mat, I'll stay along the side of the road, I'll stay marginalized. I'll stay paralyzed. I'll just stay here. Sometimes we're resistors, aren't we? It can't be me that's out of fuel. It can't be me, oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. But it is. And maybe today is saying, today is the day. It's time. It's time to get at my feet. I brought you here today for that. When you're running on empty, do you resist or do you allow your called out companions to help you get to his feet? Because that's what our called out companions do for us. They help us get to the feet of Jesus and we help them get to the feet of Jesus. That's why we're called out together. We're called out by him and for him, to him, to get with him and to be at his feet. This summer I read a book. It was written by a pastoral friend of mine who pastors the Edge Church in Camp Hill. His name is Jim Bender. Jim's here. Jim, would you stand up for a minute and everybody make Jim feel welcome. Say hi, Pastor Jim. Um, he wrote a book called Finding Joy Overcoming Your Deepest Valleys in Life. And uh, I enjoyed reading the book this summer. Uh, as a matter of fact, it was a little bit before summer in the springtime that I was reading through it. And I just enjoyed reading it because it kind of helped me a bit with my own valleys of life and discerning what do I do and how do I get into God's Word and who helps me when I'm going through valleys in life. And help me think through, am I going through a valley right now in my life where I need God? And uh, I just enjoyed reading the book. And one of the things that I really enjoyed was Jim's authenticity in the book, that he shared a lot of his own story and Heidi's story, his wife, about their daughter and what they had gone through when she was born prematurely and all of the you know, things that have happened, and they share later on other things that's going on. I like that spirit of authenticity that drew me into the book, and probably in about two or three days I gobbled it up and was through the book, and I dog-eared it, and I have, you can see I have post-it notes sticking out of it and all kinds of stuff like that. And I want to read you a part of the book because what really struck me was some of the authenticity of Jim as he wrote the book. And he writes these words in chapter 9 that is about being rescued. He said, I've personally been in valleys where all I could do was cry out to God and ask Him to rescue me. When you are so low that you can't see any way out because the valley is so deep, crying out to be rescued is all you can do because you don't have any strength to do anything else. I have been there. It's an ugly place to be, but God knows that, and He longs to come to the rescue of those who are in the valley. He loves being the hero of our story. He says, "...my most recent valley led me to Psalm 34, 17 through 19. The Lord hears His people when they call to Him for help. He rescues them from all of their troubles. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He rescues those whose spirits are crushed. The righteous person faces many troubles, but the Lord comes in rescue each time." And then he he goes on to write this, I truly felt what David was feeling in this small passage. I was brokenhearted, my spirit was crushed, and I was surrounded by trouble. All I could do was to call out for him to help and pray that he would hear me and come to my rescue. My wife Heidi was in the same valley, which was beneficial for us as a couple, but it didn't help us find our way out. Fortunately, we had some very close friends who were there for us when we needed them, And they lifted us up in prayer daily until God came to the rescue and showed us the way out. Fortunately, we had some friends who prayed for us daily until God came to the rescue and helped us find our way out. Maybe today, you're one of the mat carriers. You're here today and you've been praying for a friend. The person might be next to you, they might be your spouse. They might be someone who you've invited to come with you. They might not be here with you today, but you're still carrying the corner, hoping they'll come someday, hoping they'll get into God's presence. Maybe you're a corner carrier today, and you've lifted up those prayers. But maybe you're on the mat, and maybe God has a word for you today. Maybe he's coming and stepping in in rescue today, in a way that you hadn't seen coming before because you didn't know your tank was so dry or that your wheels were starting to fall off or that you needed a new system put in to your car for the next leg of your journey. Letting other people get us into the presence of Jesus may be the biggest challenge for some of us. We're so hardworking We're so dependent on ourselves. We'll do it ourselves. I can remember when my little girl was about three years old and me taking her to the playground. Hannah had a very independent spirit from day one. And I kind of liked it. It was cute. I took her to the playground. She was about three years old. And she started this phrase with me that day. And still in some sense it goes on to this day at times. No, daddy, I do it myself. And I can remember the little outfit that she had on and her sneakers and her hair being pulled back. And, and, and I was putting her on different things at the playground right here in Mechanicsburg. And she's, no, daddy, I do it myself. And she'd climb up there and work her way up there, sweating and panting. And she would get her up on top of the big spider from Mexico Forge and get up on the legs and get on the middle of it and ride the spider, you know. She'd get on the little spring horse and do the same thing. No, daddy, I do it myself. No, daddy, I do it myself. She got to the big slide. We'd done the little slide and the intermediate slide, but there is a big slide there. And I thought, if she kills herself on these steps, my wife is going to kill me. And she said, no, Daddy, I do it myself, and she pushed off, and the steps were so far apart that she was climbing them like a ladder, and I'm just praying the whole time, oh, God, please help her not to fall off of there. She's so tiny, so small. She got to the top. She sat down, and I raced around to the bottom of the slide, and I looked up at her, and she said, in a trembling voice this time, no, Daddy, I do it myself. And I thought, okay, let her rip. But she couldn't do it. And she sat there with tears in her eyes and us face to face with that long slide, silver slide between us. And she said, help, Daddy, help. And you better bet that I didn't run around and go up the steps. I did the whole thing where you grab the sides of the slide, and I worked my way up there, and I embraced her, and I put her in my lap, and we slid down the slide together. That's the picture of the Father today for you. He sees you working so hard. He admires that you don't just take a pass on hard work, but He sees you sitting at the top, and maybe today is the day. Perhaps He's saying it's time to say, Daddy, help. I can't run my life and I can't lead the next leg of the journey. Help. Come up. Take me in your arms. Seat me on your lap. Let me know the goodness of the God who built me today. And empower me to go the next leg of the journey with you as the leader and I'm the follower and called out companions all around me. God's Word says this, carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. I just want you to say the first part of that. Just say, carry each other's burdens. Let's say it together. Carry each other's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. The word there actually means this, carry enough of the burden so the other person can get back on their feet. It's not a codependent verb there. It's actually a verb that means work it out, lift up enough to help the person get on their feet and be empowered by God to go on in the next leg of their journey. That's what called-out companions in this journey do. We lift enough of the weight to get the other person into the presence of Christ. When you're running on empty, let others carry you, but it's important where they're taking you, into the presence of Jesus when you're running on empty, let others carry you into the presence of Jesus. You know, it's important for others to carry us, and it's important for them to lift the load. It's important for us to sometimes be the person carrying. It's important there to be an, an interchange of that. Sometimes I'm being carried, sometimes I'm carrying. Sometimes we're just walking together and we're taking care of each other. At daybreak, we like to say this we like to say, We're a church that's not a hospital, but we're a church that has a hospital. You understand the difference? We're not just a hospital. We're not just about healing, but we have a place of healing, and we are a place of healing. We're also a family that comes together and cares and takes care and learns our rules and and learns how to to look out for one another. We're also an army. We're an army on mission with God in this world to see other people get on this life-changing journey with Jesus Christ and join us as called-out companions and them help other people And so we're not a hospital, but we have a hospital because we know that people run out of fuel. We know that people, that tires come off and that things don't work at times and desperation comes and grief comes and loss comes in our life. And so we are not a hospital, but we have a hospital called our care ministry. And our care ministry is designed to not just carry you, but to carry you into the presence of God of Jesus Christ. We need companions that know that ultimately they can't meet our desperation or the hunger of our soul that only Jesus can. Only Jesus will do when a person finds themselves running on empty. Listen to this. Listen to his word. It says they they couldn't bring him to Jesus because of the crowd, so they dug a hole through the roof above his head. Then they lowered the man on his mat right down in front of Jesus. Now, can you imagine I want you to imagine being one of the people in that house. They had pushed their way. They had commandeered a good seat. They had come early. Maybe they lived in the house where Jesus was the guest at. For whatever reason, whatever way, they got to his feet first, and they had the good seats. But you got to think about it for a minute. They were sitting in there. It was in Palestine. It's hot and humid. People are sweaty. There's no ceiling fans or central air. And not one of those people had been introduced to deodorant yet and so in many different ways it is an uncomfortable environment to be in but the compelling nature of the of Christ pulls them into his feet and everything else seems to go away and all of a sudden you're sitting there and you hear some tapping on the roof over the words of Jesus who is preaching, who is praying, who's connecting, who's talking, who's asking questions, who's fielding questions. They hear a tap on the roof. And then they feel a little bit of dirt falls down on your head. And you don't really know what it is. Maybe it's a mosquito or a bug or something or something fell out of the roof. And so you push it aside, but you're so sweaty that when you do, you have a mud smear on your hand. And you say, what's going on? So you kind of put it aside, but then you hear more tapping and more movement. And all of a sudden, bigger chunks are coming down out of the ceiling. And all of a sudden, right in the middle of what Jesus is saying, the roof seems to be caving in. And the next thing that you see as you unbar your eyes to look up is the bottom of a mat or a mattress that someone who is paralyzed would sit on day after endless day. It's being held by four different ropes and it's being lowered down. And as you scooch back, this man is lowered. The man that you have seen for years sitting on street corners begging, the man who's been marginalized, the man who deserves to be on the mat because he's a sinner. Is now sitting in front of you at the feet of Jesus. And you've had to take a step back, as it were. Can you imagine the picture? You're soaked, you're muddy, and there's the man, the broken man, right at the feet of Jesus. Can you imagine what was going through their mind? Can you imagine being the ones who dug through the roof? I don't know if they brought shovels along or if they took one of the pots that a plant was growing up there and shattered it and took the pot shards and started digging through. I don't know. Maybe they did it with their bare hands. But they were desperate to get their friend into the presence of Jesus. The truth is, is that we need called out companions to get us there. But the truth is, we need them to get us in Jesus' presence. We need friends to know that they are no measure for healing the human soul, that the cup of coffee and the good questions and the sharing and the praying are great and they're welcomed and they're good, but they are pathways to get us into the presence of the living Christ because only his presence and his healing hand and his reaching into our soul will make any difference in our life. I want you to reach into your program, God, and I want you to pull out that care ministry insert. There's an insert in there. We're not going to go through all of it. You can read it later on. It has a lot of the different ministries were there. I just want to reiterate that our care ministry is a web. It's not a rope. There are some times in our life where God throws us a rope but most time, God throws us a web. This is what I mean by that. There are some times in life where it is a singular person or a singular ministry who helps us in a time of need when we're running on empty. But most of the time, the majority of the time, God doesn't throw us just a rope. He throws us a web. It's one person here. It's another person here. It's a Bible study there. It's a group here. It's a number of people. And when we look back at our life, we see God put down a net to lift us up in our time of need. He put down a pad for us to ride on, and He put four people or five people or six people around it to carry us in our time of need. He usually does that because He doesn't want us to become codependent on the caregivers and the called-out helpers. He wants us to become dependent on Him. He wants us to know that our source of healing and wholeness for our life come from His hands through them. But they're not the source of healing He is. They're not the source of wholeness He is. They're not the source of meeting the needs of our soul. He is. He wants us to know that he's the source. And so our care ministry is very, very intentional about helping us work together as a church family to grab corners of mats and to lift them up and to carry people that are from our congregation and not from our congregation into the presence of Jesus because that's the goal, to get them into the presence of Jesus. So I want you to watch this video. It's about, it's two stories that our care ministry coordinated with many of you to help get two people who desperately needed it into the presence of Jesus. Let's watch it together.
0: God uses the ministries of Daybreak to help people in our church and community experience tangible change in their lives. Let's celebrate two stories of life change this past year at Daybreak. A single mom with three kids contacted Daybreak because she couldn't afford Christmas presents for her children. The staff at Daybreak learned that her son was in the hospital, which contributed to her inability to pay for practical needs for her family. Daybreak paid her rent and provided gas gift cards so that she could visit her son at Hershey Medical Center. Our ministry teams prayed for her to get a job, as well as helped her through the results of a recent car accident. Daybreak was able to provide hope and love for her and her children in the rough times of life. She has begun a new journey with Jesus by joining us on Sunday mornings. In our next story, a woman and her daughter were caught in an abusive relationship. She was struggling to make it financially, though she was working hard. As part of Daybreak's spiritual family, she received counseling, encouragement, financial support, and prayer. Through support and coaching, she was able to escape from abuse, and Daybreak was able to help her get a new start through rent assistance and other necessities. She's now amazed at how God's family tangibly provides support. She's able to feel God's love through the provision of our spiritual family. Your contributions to God's work, both financially and in ministry, affect about 275 people each month through food and housing assistance, professional counseling, financial counseling, support groups, and prayer.
1: I this morning, I want to thank you for being part of carrying the mat for other people, of helping them out. But maybe this morning we can help you. In a couple of minutes, we're going to open up the front for prayer. We're going to open up the front for people to be anointed and prayed for or just to bring a word or, so that you can hear a word from Jesus. Maybe one of the most important parts of this passage we haven't really even talked about yet, and it's the last part, that when you're running on empty, you need to let others carry you into the presence of Jesus, but then let Jesus have the final word over you. When I think about this man and I conjecture the words that may have been spoken over him over the years, we know that from the text of Scripture, he was an outcast. He was ruled at one as one who somehow was sinful and deserved to be on that mat. He deserved to be ostracized. He deserved to be on the side of the road. He deserved to go homeless at times because that's what would happen with people like that because their family would be embarrassed. They were known in the community but they were marginalized in the community. His tank was dry. He was stranded alongside the road. Words about him were like this, sinner, loser, defective, outcast. But Jesus had another word for him. When he spoke this word, my child, your sins are forgiven. Not loser, not outcast, not sinner. My child, your sins are forgiven. Imagine the weight of those words in the most positive way resting on his soul. Replacing the old titles, the old words, the old things he said even about himself. And then Jesus says another word to him. Stand up, pick up your mat. And where does he tell him to go? Go home go home and be with your family go home and let them embrace your healing go home and let them be surprised that your legs that couldn't carry you now stand strong and firm because the god who knit you together in your mother's womb has re-strengthened them and put them back into place go home my question for you this morning is this who has the last word about you today Is it you? The words that you say over yourself? The titles that you carry? Is it the accuser? The evil one? Has he sent messages to you over the years that you replay over and over again that keep you from the presence of Jesus? Or will you this morning let Jesus say a fresh word? A new word? A living word will you let him talk to you as his own child no matter where you've been or what's been holding you back or what's been paralyzed in you see this man was not just paralyzed on the outside he was paralyzed on the inside and he needed the atoning work of the living Christ to proclaim your sins are forgiven and you're my child I've been looking for you. This morning, we're giving you a chance. We have time. We've built time into this service for you to come forward for prayer, to come to the front, to have people listen to your need and pray over you. We've also asked some of the elders to come and be available for anointing. And you might be saying this morning, What is anointing? What's the oil about? James chapter 5 tells us that when we need healing, we're to approach the elders of the church to anoint us with oil and pray for our healing. In both the Old and New Testaments, oil and anointing was a sign and a symbol of the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. So when you're anointed and we anoint your head with oil, you are saying, I'm open to God alone. Holy Spirit, come fill me, work in me, do whatever you need to do in me. There's nothing magical about it, but there is something mystical about letting the living Christ come meet you in that moment. And so we would be more than happy to anoint you this morning and pray with you this morning and pray over you this morning for you to hear a fresh word from Jesus, a healing word, an atoning word. Maybe you're going to say, well, you know, I'd like to come forward this morning, but anytime I get into these situations, I get stuck. My seat, My seat just stays in the seat. And I can't move. If you can't move this morning, if you can move your hand up, one of our prayer partners will come to you and they'll take you by the hand. And they'll lead you to a place where you can be prayed for and anointed and cared for. But most of all, where you can get at the feet of Jesus and hear him speak the words of life into your very soul so in these next couple minutes over these next couple songs we've made space we've made time maybe God's saying to you this morning it's time you've been carrying this one far too long this label has stuck in your soul way too long this emptiness that's inside has been there way too long and I long to fill you with my presence there's room for you this morning there's a place for you this morning don't delay just come on up as the song starts to play come up prayer partners and elders please come up at this time and just cluster in each place there'll be a cluster of people just come meet them and if you can't get up here and you want to just slip up your hand where you are we'll come and meet you and we'll lead you We'll carry you into the presence of Jesus this morning. Don't delay. Don't delay. If Jesus said it's time, then just come during these next songs. And we will pray for you and minister to you to hear his voice.
2: Continue to take advantage of this opportunity over the course of the next song, if that's something that God is prompting you to do this morning. And feel free to sing along with this next song as well.
3: Promise. And
2: front is still open if you want to come throughout this next song, but if not, just continue to worship with us.
3: Amen. You can be seated.
2: Well, thanks for joining us today. And thanks for just being a part of what God wanted to do in each of our hearts this morning. If today was your first time at daybreak, we're really glad that you chose to join us today. And uh, I want to let you know that as you're exiting today, if you would swing to your left out into the lobby. Uh, There's a place out there we have called Guest Central. We have a small gift that we just want to give you as our way of saying thanks for coming and checking us out today. And uh, I'll also be out there, would love to meet you and help to answer any questions that you might have about our church family. All of our members and regular attenders, uh, you can drop your tithes and your offerings and your response cards in the white boxes as you go. And if you're new to giving, we would ask that you would use that blue envelope uh, that's in your program guide, uh, just because it helps us to track that and so that we can follow up with you and say thank you for uh, taking that step of faith for the first time today. Pastor Joel's going to Walk us through just the end of the service here this morning.
1: I just want to say a short prayer for our offering and just to thank you for being open and responding, so many of you responding right where you were. You were lifting up other people, taking a corner of the mat for them. Some of you were just sitting there with God quietly, letting him speak a word to you. Good job. Good on you. I just want to say a quick word for our offering and then give you a word of benediction from God's word from Isaiah chapter 26. So let's talk to God together in prayer. Lord, we thank you that you are our source and that we can come back and offer you tithes and gifts and offerings of our finances, but also of our gifts, of our time. And so as we give back to you this morning, it's just a way of reminding us that you indeed have the final word, and you're in charge of it all. And so we give back to you as a gift of worship as we leave this room this morning. We worship you by giving back. But now hear this good word of benediction from Isaiah chapter 26. We have a strong city. God makes salvations, its walls and ramparts. Open the gates that the righteous nation may enter the nation that keeps faith. You will keep in perfect peace him whose mind is steadfast because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever, for the Lord, the Lord, is the rock eternal. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. You are dismissed.